Welcome back to Yeah, that can't be good. A rewatch podcast of the sci-fi original series Eureka. Let's get going. Hey, it's Doug with the comic book graphic novel book cover description for the dormant gene in a school where students beg for homework and the only time classes skipped is for the science fair. Zoe Carter thought she was used to feeling like an outsider. But when the students of Tesla High stop doing homework and start acting strangely, it's up to Zoe to save the day. Story by Andrew Cosby and Jamie Paglia. Script by Jonathan L. Davis. Artist, Mark Dos Santos. Colorist, Digicore Studios. Letterer, Marshall Dillon. Cover art by J.K. Woodward. Editor, Matt Gagnon. Assistant editor, Daphina Pleban. Published by Boom Studios, August 2009. Hi, I'm Vicky, and I'm here with my co-host, Doug Gramley. Hey. And we are going to review the graphic novel comic book, Dormant Gene. But first... As much as we try to keep this episode as spoiler-free as possible, it is impossible to talk about this book without giving away some spoilers. If you have not read this comic and are planning to... You may want to skip this episode of the podcast until you do. We have provided a few links for purchasing the comic on our website, EurekaRewatch.com. And due to COVID-19, we're still recording remotely. Doug Gramley is in a room with a lot of dogs. He says it's only two. I think he's lying. I also think he may have been doing his taxes or eating or maybe building something. So our apologies, not only the dogs barking, but all the background noise and all the chirping and clicking and scratching you might hear, especially if you're listening to this on your phone. Thank you. Here's a quick recap of Dormant Jean. Zoe finds school a bore, over and above the boring of it all. She feels as though she does not fit in. Everything is different from her old school, even the nerds, the group that she would normally like, are not the same type of nerds at Tesla. While Joe and Vincent give Joe's cousin Jean dating tips, Fargo decides to test a project rejected by Global Dynamics. Zoe, being new in a small town, had hopes of finding the town, the school, and the students to be more like her favorite book and movie, Sundown. When a hot student pays Zoe some attention and then saves her from a falling statue, she begins to believe she may just have met her Sundown man. But Jean is not what she thinks he is. Be careful what you wish for. When the teens in town suddenly turn into vampires and Carter and Joe are out of commission, it's left to Zoe and the giant girl to save the day. Have a good day, school. You know, try not to pick up any felonies. I have a gun, you know that. Dad, it's loaded. Leave. I'm just saying. Now. Pretty good shot. Do you have notes? Do you want to go first? I I don't have any notes. I read it yesterday. Okay. So it's it's sort of fresh. You can go through yours. Okay. Well, the first thing that I noticed was that there were callbacks to a lot of Eureka episodes. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed more than I did, but when she talks about the clicks and the groups at Tesla. Which basically means certain nonlinear dynamical systems, extremely sensitive to initial conditions, exhibits a phenomenon known as chaos. Come on, Courtney, that's a textbook definition. You've got to say Open your eyes, meat. Sorry, it's fast. You're gonna squeeze my dad's credit scores again, are you? <laughs> Lucky for you, I'm in a forgiving mood. Good God, it's Nerdvana. Like, you know, the bullies being the brainiacs, that was in season one, episode Blink. Okay. And then the biosphere that he takes Zoe to. Lab 27 is a sealed biosphere, a self-sustaining ecosystem designed to research and support the Mars missions. You do mean the potential Mars missions, right? 
Yeah, that one I remember. Yeah, What About Bob, season three. Yeah. And then the kid who comes to warn Carter and Joe about Gene was Putnam, I believe. They never said his name. No, they didn't. But they also didn't say right away that I was a, a guy. I thought it was a girl for halfway through the oh. uh, chapter. <laughs> Hello, Sheriff. I'm Putnam. I go to Zoe's school. And then the whole theater thing. Then I remember that, the, yeah, there was that kind of weird... That little kid, yeah. Theater kid, yeah. Yeah, so that was before I forget. That was another first season episode. But I guess the illustration looked a little too much like a girl. Yeah. And then Jean mentions that they're in an alternate timeline, which I believe is a callback to season one, Once in a Lifetime. Oh, I wasn't sure like if it was just being one of his theatrics or... Yeah, he had a lot of theatrics. Space is time, time is relative, and all of it's money. Sir, you should know, your daughter's an incredible talent. Because he calls out Henry specifically. Okay. And so I think it was once in a lifetime when Henry changed the timeline to save Kim. Yeah. Because I think this book was written too early for it to be about the season four time change. So then I also assumed that the book, Sundown, was supposed to be Twilight. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Uh, it gave me like a Twilight vibe and that kind of put me off pretty quickly. Yeah. The way she describes it is the same. And when Jean saves Zoe from the falling statue, it's like Edward saving Bella from the pickup truck or whatever it was. I think I only watched one because the second one was a lot of her laying in the woods and the camera spinning and it just went on forever for no apparent reason. So I never watched anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a fan. But, but yeah, I agree. That's exactly what I thought about when they first started mentioning that subject yeah but i got a little confused reading this i mean it was good i think i would have been able to follow it easier if it was an actual episode that i was watching yeah i kind of figured it out about a third of the way through it started to make a little more sense to me i think the way it starts off in present time and then the second chapter i think is when it goes back to a couple days prior or something and then there was some back and forth taking place like a few weeks prior so yeah so it was a little confusing but i think the third chapter is when it actually kind of started to make sense yeah apparently zoe rejects this gene person right and every time somebody mentions that she doesn't remember so You kind of get a clue that there's a problem there. Yeah. But at the beginning, before we knew who Jean was, we meet Jean. It's the same Jean, but she definitely didn't look like the same guy she rejected. So he rejects her as his lab partner. And we find out that he's just playing hard to get. Yeah. But then he saves her from the falling statue of Isaac Newton. You know, she wanted to meet a hot guy in a small town. Which is what this guy turns out to be. Right. um, Initially. Oh my god, this workload is insane. I mean, who needs this kind of pressure? When do kids just get to be kids? Yeah, hard day at school. Actually, I mean a friend. That's great. What's your name? name? I'm looking at the book right now, and I'm looking at the illustration of him, and it just bothers me. <laughs> Why does it bother you? I don't know. I don't know. Just the way they drew him, the, the, the look, his look, the huge jawline and giant chin, and I don't know. And then Joe calls out Zoe for rejecting her cousin. Who knew Joe had a cousin in town? Yeah. And then we see a flashback of her rejecting the kid with the glasses. But then we go back four weeks, and we see Joe's cousin, the kid with the glasses. Right. Getting advice from Vincent and Joe on how to win over the girl of his dreams, which is Zoe, but Vincent and Joe don't know that. Right. But then we realize that Jean, the Jean that saves Zoe, in the present is the kid with the glasses that she has no memory of rejecting. But then he walks into the serial killer stalker room 
dedicated to Zoe. Yeah, like that was at the end of the first chapter. So which gene was like the stalker one? Was it the original? I think it was both. I think the original, because he was so in love with Zoe, blah, blah, blah. I- I'm assuming he already had this room before he changed into the other gene. That would have been my guess, too. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, I would say so. So then we gather that he's changed himself into a vampire to fit what he thought Zoe wanted from the Sundown movies. Right. Which is technically what she did want if we're going by the book. You know, the hot guy that she meets in town is a vampire. Yes, Obviously, she wasn't taking it that way. So we were four weeks behind when Joe and Vincent were giving him advice. And then we move to a week later, which would only be three weeks ago, from when he rescued her from the statue, to find out that he invented gene therapy, which is funny. I thought that was cute. Yeah. But it was rejected by Global because he, he thought they didn't take him seriously. Yeah. But Fargo of course, decides to give it a try because he wants to look more distinguished because nobody t- takes him seriously either. Right. I don't know if it was from what Joe and Vincent said or from what the other students said, but he thinks he has to build his reputation in order to get Zoe to notice him. Yeah, somebody said that to him. Yeah, and I can't remember if it was Joe and Vincent. No, I think it was the students. So he thinks by distributing all of this gene therapy to all the students, it will build his rep because he's not going to use it on himself. He says he's a scientist. You don't test on yourself. Right. Well, Um, he's also a very poor scientist because he's testing it on humans right you know without any real trial right period but you know that seems to be the norm nowadays <laughs> yes <laughs> so he thinks he's going to build his rep in zoe's eyes by distributing to everybody but that doesn't work so he takes it himself to turn himself into the vampire that he thinks she wants yeah when he takes her to the biosphere it's funny because especially early in the series she always complained about being the sheriff's daughter she hated being the sheriff's daughter you know, you and your job can be really annoying. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. You're the sheriff, and I'm the sheriff's daughter, and I have this this big fat label right across my head, and that's all anyone sees. But when she's stuck in the biosphere with him, she thinks that that's going to get him to let her go. She uses that to her advantage. She said, I'm the sheriff's daughter first. Right. What did she call them? Lifetime movies for women or something? Yeah, she made a comment, but I actually chuckled. Yeah, she said, Mr. Lifetime Movie. And I I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it was. But obviously that doesn't work. So later on, Carter and Joe get... Did they get hit by this Putnam guy? How did they become unconscious? Putnam ended up having the therapy done to him as well. He starts to turn... And I think he, like, knocks Carter into Joe. Oh, okay. I don't know how I missed that. And I knew they were unconscious, and I didn't go back to look. Yeah, he starts to turn, which maybe was, you know, an explanation for why he was becoming even more dramatic as the stories kept on going on. Like, it started to get more outlandish. Well, yeah, because he was trying to tell them what was going on, but he was also writing a play in his head. Right. So, yeah, he was changing everything. So Zoe and the giant girl, who's finally we find out her name is Stephanie, although she's not a giant anymore, are the only ones that haven't turned into vampires. Right. And with Joe and Carter out of commission, they go to Henry for help. The girl who turned into a giant in the beginning manipulated the therapy, the gene formula, which is why she didn't end up turning into a vampire. Right. She just got giant. We're going to pause here quickly. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Doug the Synopsis Guy here. If you are a fan of Eureka, it is very likely you are also a fan of Warehouse 13. And if you aren't, you should be. 
please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Warehouse 13. You can listen at the13thwarehouse.com or on Podbean. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse and on Facebook at 13th Warehouse. See you at the warehouse. And we are back. You didn't read the last comic. I did that episode with Kim. Yeah. But Henry wasn't in the last comic because they said he was in wine country. I think with Kim. I think they said he was in wine country with Kim. So I'm glad he was in this one anyway. So when I read these books, I always try to figure out where they are in the series. I guess at this point, Allison is still the DOD liaison. Well, Stark is uh, the head of GD. Right. Because when Henry says he has to call the DOD, it rings in the office where Allison and Stark are trying to hold off Fargo from bursting in. Yeah. I don't remember when she becomes the head of GD. I don't remember what season that was. But apparently this is before that. Uh, yeah, but season one, season two? I'm trying to remember. It's when uh, Kim dies, which would be the end of season one or the beginning of season two, I think. But it seems like Zoe's a little too old in this book compared to how old she was. Right. And the Biosphere episode was season three, the very beginning of season three. I don't know. I always try to figure out what the timeline is, but I can't with this one. It was funny because when Fargo was trying to break in, Nathan being Nathan because it has to be about him and not anybody else, thinks Fargo is jealous of his facial hair. I thought that was funny. I think I missed that. When Fargo's trying to break in the door... He says something about his facial hair, like he thinks Fargo's after them because he's jealous of Nathan's facial hair. Oh, okay. In both comics, and I know you didn't read the first one, they always make Nathan look like a buffoon, which he is. He's not a buffoon, but... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, he doesn't have a very big role in But in the in first one, they did too. They um, There was a part where Carter was blackmailing him because Carter knows about packages he was receiving. And the packages are like Rogaine for hair growth or something. They always make him look like, I don't know how to explain it. Just a big self-centered, which he was, but not to this. Yeah, yeah, but not to this like dopiness, I guess. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So after Carter, who's still partially incapacitated, tells Zoe that she's smarter than she believes she is. Zoe comes up with a plan to give Henry enough time to make a cure. Yeah. But then she's grabbed by Jean, who once again brings up the fact that she rejected him. And again, she says she doesn't remember this. We are so broken up. And when he mentions that she told him to leave her alone, she realizes that she was talking to Carter on the phone. Right. When she said that, and she didn't even know that Jean was there. I want you to leave me alone. And it seems like the conversation she was having on the phone with Carter was in relation to the first comic book. Because in the first comic book, she was taken hostage. Okay. At high school. So that's what it seemed like. He wanted to okay. escort her to school. That's the exact opposite of leaving me alone. Dad, stop talking now. I thought that that was referencing another episode where he said that she was taking hostage and I was trying to figure out. No, I think was. it seems like that was referencing the first comic book because she was taken hostage at Tesla. So she thinks that everything that's happened is her fault, but it's not really her fault. So this whole entire thing was based on a misunderstanding. Yeah, par for the course, usually what happens in Eureka. Yeah. <laughs> That's all my notes, because we don't want to give away the ending. So what did you think about it? I mean, I haven't read a comic in years, probably since I was younger. So it took me a little while to get into it. I think I actually started reading this two weeks ago, and I got to page three. <laughs> and I had to put it down because my brain was just, you know, bouncing back and forth between all the 
text bubbles. Right. But, you know, once I got into it, other than, like, the whole vampire thing, which I'm not a fan of, I thought it was pretty good. I could see it as as, as its own episode. Yeah, and that's kind of how I try to judge them, because I'm not yeah. a comic book reader either. But if I could see it as an episode... Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm. it'd be interesting to see if it was written around the same time as movies that's where it got its inspiration from yeah i don't know it was published in april or well one site says august one site says april but it was 2009 i don't remember when the twilight movies came out yeah i'm trying to think i think those were earlier than that but yeah i feel like it definitely drew some inspiration from that i guess maybe like the whole vampire craze was still a thing yeah 2009 or 10 or whatever but yeah i think it could have worked as as a full episode you know, it definitely would have been a way to get like a younger crowd into the show as well. You know, it being mostly about teenagers and stuff. Yeah, um, definitely. So I don't know. When I was reading through it, I was trying to, in my head, I'm reading it as like what characters would sound like. Yeah. Like I could hear Carter, like some of the things that he would say, like I could hear his voice in my head saying it. So I think that it was definitely well written in that regard that you can actually, you know, put the characters in there and hear their voice. Yeah, that's what I said about the first one, too. I think, yeah, they did a good job on both. I specifically said in the first one, I know I did, that I could hear the characters saying this dialogue that they're putting in the book. The only comic books I've ever read, and I haven't really read them, I have, is like when a show ends and they continue in comic form. Okay. So I wasn't sure what I was expecting with this. I didn't know if I was expecting it to be true to characters or... Or if it was like a standalone. Yeah. Gotcha. But I think they were pretty true to the characters. Yeah, I agree. I think so. So you got anything else? Uh, no. All right. Well, thanks for popping in again. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so I guess we'll see you later if something else from Eureka comes up. We'll see you around, yeah. Okay, bye. All right. Bye. I call this an abomination. Okay, DC, tell us what's next. I don't know. And we hope to see you again soon. Bye! Bye. You did it! Please remember to follow us on our Facebook page. Yeah, that can't be good. At facebook.com backslash Eureka Rewatch. Links to information discussed during our podcasts will be added to our website at eurekarewatch.com. You can also listen to our podcast on Podbean. If you'd like to send us an email, please email us at eurekarewatch at gmail. We would love to hear from you. And we're now also available on Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. When we did the webisode, remember? Yeah, I feel like there was uh, one of those episodes where I thought would have worked as a full... All right, hold on, hold on. I don't know what all that is. Are you opening drawers or something? Oh, yeah, sorry. All right, you're going to have to say that again because (laughs) that was just all a bunch of mess. That's all.